there's two kinds of different camps in the United States. The kind where you walk up to the house and you go inside and you leave your shoes on. And then there's the other camp like the Lewis camp. It's where you get home after a long day and you step inside the door. And there's a bench right there for you waiting for precisely this purpose. And you sit down after a long day because you were finally home in a place of comfort. And you take that miserable little crustacean off called a shoe. And you've just heard those dogs barking all day long. And you are just so happy to finally be back in a place where you can do a tremendous act of vulnerability, which is to take off your shoes and expose your feet. I remember it like it was yesterday, sitting with my good friend. She looked down to the end of her legs and declared those four fateful words, I hate my feet. I was stunned. For one, with regard to basic form, hers looked just like mine. Her foot took on the standard foot shape. All ten toes were present and accounted for. I was truly mystified. It had never occurred to me in my wildest imagination that one could arrive at any judgment about a five-toed functioning foot other than that it is what it is. I didn't know there was a foot criterion. I didn't know there was a foot standard. It's hard to believe I was so innocent back in those days, you know, just so young and naive. In my gargantuan ignorance, I replied, why do you hate your feet? She then proceeded to produce such a detailed, critical exposition. Such wrath was unleashed upon every square millimeter. There followed a catalog of calumnies, a list of woes worthy of Ezekiel's prophet book. The sky over our heads, oh, the sky, it began to darken. I could smell it, fire and brimstone descending from the sky upon those feet, and the wrath poured forth. You, ring toe, too short. You, pinky toe, too crooked. And you, right foot, too long. And you, left foot, you are too wide. I felt the earth begin to melt underneath me as I achieved that rare mystical state of pure and utter befuddlement. <laughs> I actually cannot compute what was being said. I heard the words but saw no congruence with reality. Each pronouncement upon a particular toe or curve was so microscopically precise so as to avoid detection by my simple uninitiated eye. I blinked. Do they work? I asked. <laughs> she sighed. We both knew it in that moment. The conversation was over. We both sensed it. 
that gulf of incommiserability had yawned between us, momentarily rendering us fugitives from our own friendship. Our relationship with feet is complicated. They're quite convenient. Over the course of an average lifetime, yours will have carried you the equivalent of three trips around the earth. Your feet contain a quarter of all the bones in your body. They're wonderfully, intricately, and skillfully constructed, creating the possibility for your locomotion and balance. And yet the cost is high. They are tough, yet tender. Sometimes ticklish, and quite often stinky. What is it then about Moses' encounter with God that necessitated the removal of his shoes and the exposure of his bare feet? What is it about the holy that prefers skin contact? Removing our shoes and committing our feet, bare and exposed to be washed, is an act of intimacy. We know the intimacy of standard forms of bodily contact to hold hands, hug, kiss. But to hold one's feet and wash them, that is a form of contact that is intimate, and it is also strangely unequal. It is one thing to place your hand into another's and to thereby hold hands. But to, there is almost a sense of equality there. But to take into your hands another person's feet, there is unbalance. It is instinctively unequal. The hands with their noble, opposable thumbs holding such lowly feet, how can it be? I submit to you that the act of entrusting the feet of another into the care of your hands is strange precisely in how disproportionately generous it is. It is the inverse to the kiss of betrayal. It is splendidly gratuitous. You are giving that person your full care and attention to the intricacies and curves of their tender and tough feet, and it is beautiful. And yet there is a higher way. It is not to wash feet, but it is to have your feet washed. Jesus, yes, chose the service of foot washer but he is ironically setting up the disciples to receive the better share. Unless I wash your feet, unless you have your feet washed, you have no share with me. Literally, no part in me. It sounds almost as mystically intimate as membership through eating the body and blood. These acts are strangely and wildly contributing to the incorporation of the mystical body of Christ in ways we cannot conceive of insofar as they are promoting together and the weaving together of all of us in love. And the key that the foot washing brings out in particular that we must never forget is the key of that moment that you feel when you walk into your doorstep and take your shoes off. It's the moment of pure, carefree vulnerability. Perhaps you can put on the servant's towel and you can give, give, give all day long. But placing your tender feet into the care of another
It's vulnerable. They could wash them just as easily as they could run a nail through them in an act of crucifixion. We do not think we're worthy, and we're not secure enough to be known so deeply. And that's precisely the source of Peter's, Lord, you will never. But you are worthy. You're enough. And it is yours to receive. The love of God in its full, intimate, and total beauty from your head to your toes. Come to me, all of you. Every part of you. Place into my hands your short toe and your curved toe, your long foot and your wide foot. In your vulnerability, give me to yourself, and you will find in return that all of yourself is loved completely and fully. <laughs>